You're listening to Jalen Rose, Renaissance Man. This week's theme is have faith that you'll win with legendary Hall of Fame NFL head coach and television analyst, Tony Dungy. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. What is a Renaissance Man, you ask? Well, a Renaissance Man is someone who keeps his ear to the streets and fingers on the pulse of fashion, entertainment, pop culture, current events, and everything in between. Remember to subscribe and rate the podcast. Read the column. We have a five-star rating thanks to you. That's who. Here's some of the reviews we've gotten since the last time. What up, though? Big shout, Miss V Flow, who says, true advertising. Jalen truly is a renaissance man. I am so glad that he is literally everywhere, 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 because I can't get enough of him. His perspective experience, and humor. Jalen, from one Michigander to another, proud to be a loyal fan of yours. I appreciate the love and support and don't take anybody for granted. This week's podcast theme is have faith that you'll win. But as always, each week I want to tell you a story about the theme that helped me become who I am today. In particular, in the podcast space. So you're listening to me now, and it's like, wait a minute. He a podcast OG. He been doing this for 10 years. But a lot of people don't realize the origin of how the podcast game started. See, everybody and their mother has a podcast now. You go to Apple. You go to Spotify. You can just search a name. And babies got podcast. But let me take you back to the year 2009. I was doing television already for ESPN, NBA Tonight, NBA Coast to Coast, Sports Center. I was basically on TV all day and all night. But I realized something. They were shows that were specializing in talking about NBA coverage. And it was clearly more to my vocabulary and more things that I was passionate about than just basketball. So I did a little more homework and realized the company that I worked for was starting a podcast company called Grantland, led by Bill Simmons. So I was like, hmm, I need to meet Bill Simmons. So I go to Los Angeles during the ESPYs. I check out the awards, have a great time, walk the red carpet, had to part down the middle of my head, had to represent Larry Johnson and Kenny Anderson to the fullest. I was suited and booted. Couldn't wait to see who I was going to see. I was ready to politic and everything. I see Bill Simmons, but I really don't get a chance to talk to him. So I go to the after party, W Hotel. It's like one or two in the morning. I watch Bill Simmons have a couple of adult beverages. And then all of a sudden, I make my move. Walk over to Bill, standing by the pool, introduce myself. He knew who I was. 
I pitched him an idea about doing my own podcast for the Grantland Network. And he looked at me. He was surprised that I knew about the partnership between Grantland and ESPN, that I knew about the podcast space, but also I was willing to do one and it wasn't necessarily going to be in my contract. It was a labor of love. So it took me two or three months to actually set the meeting because he was kind of avoiding me a little bit, I guess. And uh, I walk into the meeting and I pitched the idea about starting the Rose Report. So I walk into the meeting, Bill's in the meeting, and another gentleman named David Jacoby. And then as we start to talk and everybody get familiar, Bill is like, so is there a former coach, a former teammate that you want to do the podcast with? I was like, actually doing a little studying about what you guys have going on. And I want to do the podcast with him. So they both looked like you want to do it with Jacoby. He's a producer. He's not even talent. I'm like, I think it'll work out just fine. And before you know it, Bill Simmons greenlit us to do a podcast. Of course, when you're blazing a trail and doing something that's never been done, people are going to question why you're doing it. And having a podcast was not in my contract. So at the time, my agent, my assistant, all of my family and friends were like, why are you doing a podcast when you got an actual job to work on television, the podcast space was new. So therefore, so was I and unproven. My co-host, David Jacoby, was a producer, not talent. He was new and unproven. So I always had faith that I would win. Failure was never an option. Like my next guest. Hall of Fame NFL coach and NFL analyst, Tony Dungy. I want to start this week's episode just acknowledging how much I love my job. Today, I get a chance to not only interview a Hall of Fame football coach, a former player, but somebody that stays steadfast with two things since I first heard his name, faith in football. So coach, you'll appreciate this. I'm calling this week's episode, Have Faith That You'll Win. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Coach Tony Dungy to the show. Well, thank you, Jalen. It's great to be with you. I appreciate all you do. I watched you play and love that part of it. But what you've done for young people in the Detroit area, you talk about faith and heart and love and all those things. Uh, that's what I really appreciate. So it's an honor being with you. Thank you very much, Coach. So when did you discover your love for football and what attracted you, especially at the, in the 70s, to being a quarterback? Well, I tell you, I have to confess, basketball was my first love. And I always thought I was going to be a basketball player. I can remember summers at St. Cecilia, which you would be familiar with. It just, yes. <laughs> <I> yes. <laughs> man, I want to be a basketball player. My dad went to University of Michigan. You know, that was my first thought. But I just seemed to be 
get attracted to football. I got better and better at it. I went to the University of Minnesota. They were one of the few schools that was going to let me play football and basketball at the time. And they had a rich history of black quarterbacks. Sandy Stevens was an All-American quarterback in 1960, led him to the Rose Bowl. I met him on my recruiting trip there, and it was like almost just seeing your, your future in front of you. And I just, something told me, and my dad kind of stoked that into me, that, hey, if you can do something, don't let other people define you. Don't let other people tell you what you can and can't do. So I was kind of headed in my heart to be a basketball player and a quarterback. And then I just got better and better at football. And that, that seemed to be the way the Lord took me. So you get a chance to cover the game on Saturdays, on Sundays. Basically, you're working every day. You have to smile on the inside when you see players dual threats like Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. As somebody in a lot of ways that wasn't encouraged to play that position based on your color. I'm telling you, Jalen, we, we look at these young men and we say how fantastic they are, and it, they are. But I can tell you 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we had the same thing. As I came up and I'm watching guys and guys who are my heroes, there was a guy named Chuck Ely at the University of Toledo when I was a senior in high school. Chuck Ely never lost a game in college. 30 Three and O at the University of Toledo. So you think, well, being a quarterback, that's about being a winner. If you're a winner, you're going to get a chance in the next level. NFL didn't draft him. He went to Canada, won the Grey Cup as a rookie, first first year. And you're saying, come on, NFL, what what's going on? This is what we should be all about. Well, I, four years later, I go to college, University of Minnesota. I'm playing. We're playing a game at the University of Washington. I'm quarterback for Minnesota. Warren Moon is quarterbacking for the Washington wow. Huskies. I'm leading the Big Ten in passing. Warren's leading the Pac-10 in passing. Neither one of us get drafted. And they tell me, well, your skill set isn't set for the NFL. You know, you need to play another position. So I go to the NFL and convert to safety. They told Warren the same thing. He said, no, my skill set is a quarterback. He went to Canada, won five great cups up there, and then came back. But that's how it was. And Warren Moon and Chuck Ely and Conrad Holloway and Eldridge Dickey, who was the number one draft choice from Tennessee State that they moved to wide receiver, Marlon Briscoe. These guys, 40 years ago, they would have been the Patrick Mahomes and the Russell Wilson, but they didn't get the opportunity. And it's a shame because it was the NFL that missed out on some of that excitement. And this same NFL, as we talk about the progression of the quarterback position, also seeks the need to enhance the Rooney rule. And over the last couple of days, something has been announced that basically they're going to reward teams a compensatory pick if they decide to hire minorities in positions of power. What do you think about that rule? Well, I think it's needed because you hit the nail right on the head. We haven't recognized, we haven't done a good job of seeking things out. The Rooney rule was named after Dan Rooney, who was the owner and president of the Steelers. They hired me when I was 25 years old and had never coached before. I played for the Steelers and Chuck Knoll and Mr. Rooney recognized some leadership and hired me and gave me my first opportunity. There were 10 African-American assistant coaches in the whole league my first year in the NFL. There were 28 teams, 18 teams had zero, 10 teams had one. So for wow. Dan Rooney and Chuck Knoll to reach out and say, we're going to hire this 25-year-old kid who has never coached before and put him in a position because we see something in him. That was the vision of Mr. Rooney. And that, that's what the NFL needs. 
we need people to look in other places to, to get out of the box of how we've always done it. And we're going to find some of these young men. When I ended up, after I kind of graduated through the system and finally got hired, Denny Green hired me as his coordinator and put me in a position to be a head coach. 1996, I got the job uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I set out to hire my first staff. And I said, you know what? There are so many good coaches that haven't gotten the opportunity. I've got to open the door for some of these guys. So I ended up hiring Lovey Smith. He was on my first staff. Herm Edwards was not in the NFL at that time. He was on my first staff. And people were saying, who are these guys? Where are the experienced coaches? How can we do We can't get some top-level coaches. Herm shows what he can do. Five years later, he's the head coach of the Jets. He leaves us. I have to hire another guy to replace him. Mike Tomlin's 29 years old, and I hired him. But that's because I was looking outside the box, Jalen. I wasn't just going, well, they say, here's who they say is a good coach, and here's a guy who's got this. And all these guys, once they got the chance, they showed what they could do. And all they needed was an opportunity. And I think that's where we are in the NFL. So this legislation of saying, you know what, if you develop a coach, if you hire a minority coach and he gets hired, we're going to reward that first team with a draft choice. I think that'll encourage people to look outside the box because there may be a reward for me down the road, not only getting a good coach, but maybe getting rewarded with a draft choice down the road. Well, the, the model of stability in the NFL is your Pittsburgh Steelers. Because what they've had, three coaches in like 60-plus years, that's an identity. It is. And I'll tell you what happens with that, Jalen. Dan Rooney, he has a formula. And he knows what he believes in. What works for us in Pittsburgh, we're going to hire young, very good communicators, defensive-minded, tough coaches. Because we're going to play in bad weather. We've got a tough community. That's our identity. So in 1969, he hires Chuck Noll, 32-year-old, kind of unknown, who worked under Don Shula. And he stays there 29 years. And then everybody's saying, well, you should hire this guy and hire that guy. He hires a 30-something Bill Cower, kind of unknown, under the radar. And then Bill stays there 16 years. And then Dan's got a lot of good coaches on the staff. He's got Bruce Aarons on the staff. He's got Ken Wisenhunt. He's got Dick LeBeau, who's defensive genius. But he says, no, my formula is young, good communicators, tough-minded defensive guys. And because of this Rooney rule, this rule that has my name, I'm going to look around and see who's out there like that. And I'll never forget this, Jalen. We were getting ready for, to prepare for the Super Bowl. And Dan called me and he said, I know you're busy, but I just interviewed this guy that you have a connection with. And he's unbelievable. Tell me about Mike Tomlin. And I knew right then, I said, Mike's going to get this job because he's Dan's type of guy. Well, he gets the job. Two years later, they're in the Super Bowl. Mike's been there 14 years now because the formula works. And Dan knows what he's looking for. It doesn't matter if it's black, white. doesn't matter. He knows what he wants, and he's going to get the best guy for it. I want to congratulate you for not only your faith that you demonstrate publicly, regardless of where anyone may see you in, in a walk of life. But as a football coach, a lot of times, in particular, when you're coaching black players, people want us to be demonstrative and judge us based on our, our demeanor. And you always stay true to who you are. How tough was that to walk that balance? It was, it was tough, but I got, again, Dan Rooney was such a, a blessing to me. You'll get a kick out of this story. They just hired me, and I am 25 years old, and I'm going on a scouting trip. And this general manager from another team told me, 
hey, it's great that you're coaching now, but I'll tell you this, I'll give you a little bit of advice. If you want to be a success, you need to shave that beard Mm. because you look like a player. You don't look like a coach. And I didn't know much at the time. So I went back to Mr. Rooney and I said, hey, is this true? Is this how you want me to look? And Dan said, you know what? That may be true in other places, but here we want you to be yourself. We want Mm. you to look like who you are. So don't worry about that. And he meant that physically and emotionally and everything else. We want you to be who you are. And as I was coming up, basketball, football, baseball, no matter what sport I played, the coaches that helped me the most were the ones that encouraged me. They told me what to do. They taught me. It wasn't the guys that yelled at me. It wasn't the guys that motivate. I could motivate myself. I needed to learn what to do. Tell me how to play. You don't need to tell me to motivate me. I'm motivated. Tell me what to do. So that was my mantra the whole time. And then as I got closer to these head coaching jobs and I'd start to get interviewed and people would say, well, he's just, I don't know if he's tough enough. I don't know if he's demonstrative enough. And I started thinking, well, I'm, I'm kind of like Chuck Noel, my, my coach, and I'm kind of like Bill Walsh, who I played for. Those guys, it didn't seem to be a problem. They won Super Bowls being the way they were. And I thought about at times, maybe I have to change. Maybe I have to show the public I'm this and that. But Mr. Rooney's words kept coming back to me. No, be who you are. Be yourself, and it's going to be good enough. And I want to take you back to a time where that faith may or may not have been tested. So you did a terrific job building a football team in Tampa with Hall of Famers Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Lynch, outstanding defense, almost mirror how the Pittsburgh Steelers want to play. So you leave Tampa, go to Indianapolis, and your former team wins the championship the first year you're gone. Describe (laughs) that feeling to me. That was a tough time. That was bittersweet for sure. We'd get there. I went there that had 13 straight losing seasons. And I talked to the players, say, our goal is to win a Super Bowl. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to build it slowly. We're going to build with defense. We're going to build with high character players. We're going to do things right off the field. We get it going and we become a playoff team. And we're a playoff team every year. And we're close. And we lose a, a NFC championship game 11 to 6. Mm-hmm. And we miss the Super Bowl by that much. And we're close. And we're close. And then the ownership comes and says, I don't think you're the guy to get us over the top. So I got fired. Next year, those guys go there and they make it. They're in the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking, man, there's some of my guys. And they're doing just what we said to do. And I'm happy about that. And I'm so proud for them. But then there's that part inside you that hurts because you aren't there with them. And uh, it was painful. It was painful watching them win it. But I was so happy for that group of guys who had gone through those bad years to now all of a sudden be there. And then uh, four years later, we got our chance in Indy and we did it and uh, it made it that much sweeter. And coaching, I call him the sheriff, Peyton Manning. And so getting to Indianapolis and he hadn't gotten there yet. How did you know that you could be the coach and build that team to get a championship around Peyton Manning? who that was the only thing missing from his resume. Yeah. Uh, after I got let go in Tampa, Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, called me and he said, hey, I want you to be our coach. I love the way you do things. That's what I'm looking for. We've got a great offense here in place, but we don't believe we can win. you got to bring us that belief and you've got to help shape our defense. And so I was there with Bill Polian and just talking to him. How are we going to do this? How are we going to construct it? We're going to have the majority of our money on offense because we got to build around Peyton and we got to make sure we have enough weapons for him. So our defense is going to be a little different. We're going to have to rely on some 
younger guys, some undersized guys, maybe guys that everybody else isn't going after. We're not going to have big name free agents, high price guys. They're going to have to be that unknown kind of under the radar group. So we concentrated on making it rough and tough and quick and fast. And then we drafted Dwight Freeney and Bob Sanders and Cato June and Robert Mathis and guys who were maybe not what everybody else was looking for, but they were what we needed. And it was so much fun putting that together. And we kept the only thing that was tough for me, it was kind of like at Tampa. We got there and we knocked on the door and we're close and we didn't quite win it. But Jim Ursay continued to have faith. I know you can do it. We're not tearing this apart. We're going to keep going. And finally, in 06, we, we got there and it was it was wonderful. And the people of Indianapolis, myself included, who was playing for the Pacers for six years, were so very enthusiastic because I watched you as a leader never deviate from who you were. Like people now see the game and with technology and social media and Facebook and stuff like that, where everyone's influenced by their phone. But you had to be influenced by your faith because people were questioning your demeanor your intellect, and then they yeah. went on to win the Super Bowl without you, <laughs> with the players that you built. Yeah. And so in Indianapolis, just so you know, hopefully you never have paid for a meal. Hopefully you never have to <laughs> buy anything. <laughs> for real. It's been great there. It's like a second home to me. And you can attest to this. When we got there, Indianapolis, it was Probably IU basketball was number one. Yes. Pacers basketball, number two. Yeah. And anything in football, maybe Notre Dame. But mm -hmm. Colts were way down the line. And to just see it come around and see people now wearing blue and white jerseys and wearing Andrew Luck jerseys mm -hmm. and walking in downtown, that was different. So, yeah, having that, that community come around you and rally around you and having the Colts become relevant, it was just, it was wonderful. And it's, it's been great. As a fan and supporter of yours, it seems like I've watched you work for like 30 straight years. <laughs> and every time I see you, you're working and you're doing a terrific job on Sunday Night Football with Tariko and Rodney, who gets a haircut every day. And so <laughs> what I wanted to ask you is, what are some of your favorite designers since you got to get dressed for work? You know, I'm not a design guy, but we have a great staff, gosh, our, our staff that, that does our wardrobe at NBC, they have us in some neat looking stuff. And it's been Hickey Freeman lately. I didn't know anything about them, but man, I tell Amy Acton, our, our designer, just keep me in the dark suits, white <laughs> shirt. You can do anything with the ties you want. Uh, and, and Hickey Freeman's been fantastic. So I'm, I'm kind of on their bandwagon now. So you were in the NFL clearly as a player and as a coach. How do you feel that technology and social media, as I watch the game and players on the sideline with their iPads, they're tweeting at halftime, how do you think that's impacted the game for the better and or the worse? I think there's, there's some better for sure because we do get to see a side of these players. We get to see things that we wouldn't have seen before. But the, the thing that I think has hurt the game a little bit is everybody now is looking for a brand. When you and I came up, mm -hmm. we're trying to make it and we're <laughs> trying to be part of a team and we're trying to win. And we, that, that's it. Well, now that's OK. We want to do that, too. But I've got to develop my brand. And I don't know how I'd coach guys now if they came to me and said, <laughs> well, coach, you know, what you're saying is good and that could be helpful. But I need to develop my brand because that doesn't <laughs> help you win. That doesn't help your team. So I'd have a little trouble with that. Before I let you get out of here, I do a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds, presented by Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. Let's go. First question up for the rapid fire. You're buying your next home. Is it in Tampa or Indianapolis? 
It is definitely in Tampa. My wife would divorce me if we <laughs> if we moved up to cold weather again. So it's got to be in Tampa as much as I love Indy. And no state taxes. When you no play and or as a coach, did you have pregame hype music? If so, what was it? Yes, my hype music was the OJs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that era, Bootsy Collins and the Ohio players. Yes, uh, yeah, we, we had it going on for sure. Yes. Away from football, an athlete that you see and say, I would have loved to coach that guy. Mm, I love Steph Curry. I love what he does on the basketball court. Mookie Betts, just watching him uh, play and his energy that, that he brings. Uh, those would be two guys I'd, I'd enjoy coaching for sure. Who would you pick to perform at this year's halftime show? Mm, wow, this year's halftime. You know what? I'm going to go with a uh, guy that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about, Torin Wells. He's a uh, he's a gospel contemporary Christian artist, tremendous talent. And uh, I love walking around with my ear pods on listening to <laughs> Torin Wells. Two more, and I'll let you get out of here. Your favorite sports movie? Coach Carter. I love Classic. Coach Carter, yes, and, you know, getting those young men to understand it's more than just on the basketball court. We're filming the Tony Dungy biopic. Who plays Tony Dungy? Oh, without question, Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Of course. <laughs> the best actor, the best looking, all of that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I appreciate the love, Coach. Have a good one. Thank you, Jalen. Last, last call. This week's last call is about resiliency. No matter who you are, adversity and challenges are going to come your way. And oftentimes, unexpectedly. Whether it's on the field to play or in the game of life. Life is 10% what happens to you. And 90% how you react. That 10% is adversity. That 90%, my friends, is resilience. Resiliency is something that lies within all of us. But like a flower growing from the soil, you must give it sun and water in order for it to blossom. How do you allow that resiliency to grow inside of you? Here are a few steps. Accept that change is a part of living. Certain goals, unfortunately, may no longer be attainable as a result of adverse situations. However, keep things in perspective. Even when facing very painful events, try to consider the stressful situation in a broader context and keep a long-term perspective avoid blowing the situation out of proportion maintain a hopeful outlook it will enable you to expect that good things will happen in your life try to visualize what you want rather than worrying about what you fear because fears are nothing more than a state of mind. I love you. See you next week. Signing off, Jalen Rose, the Renaissance Man.